You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. We gotta talk about it. I don't know that I want to. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. We have been laughing for a, an hour, maybe more. <laughs> it actually put this podcast recording on pause. It really did. I mean, it's been a while since we've talked about current events. However, um, I did make the mistake of opening up Instagram <laughs> before we got down to recording, only to see Jensen Ackles' announcement. Of a supernatural prequel. I just, I, I don't think any show has been rebooted that fast. <laughs> it's been like eight months since it ended. And as anybody who like pays attention to television knows, uh, did not go out with what we would call a bang. <clears throat> yes, but here's the thing. The CW business model is once it stops giving us money, we will stop kicking the dead horse. But until then... Well, it's also like the CW business model is we don't care how bad it is. It will run for eight seasons. <laughs> At a minimum. I know. Yeah. Um, but the worst thing about this is that it's not going to be about any um, characters that people might somehow care about. It's going to be about John and Mary. People Winchester. like Mary. Yes. But John, worst dad in the universe, including Satan Winchester, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't. I just, <laughs> I just, I can't imagine like sort of looking at like the fans who are paying your bills, like the ones who are really invested being like, yeah, this is what they will want. Okay. I know that he comes back in like a family reunion dinner episode. I have never seen it. I've never seen it either. But like the, the craziest thing is that John Winchester was in what? Five total episodes and yet the entire fandom has spent 15 seasons being like fuck that guy yeah exactly well i think uh something that a lot of people can relate to is uh having a shitty dad retweet <laughs> uh, yeah um not my dad hi dad um <laughs> and uh i don't i think that people are like hmm that looks like you're about to uh you know Forgive the dude I've spent years projecting my own familial <laughs> trauma on. And uh, I'm personally not ready for that. I'm also so. personally not going to watch it. No. I like, I don't know what it would have taken for me to, well, one for me to like actually, because again, like when it's like, oh, I've never seen that episode, it's because I actually haven't seen most episodes of Supernatural. Yeah, 15 seasons. It, there's a lot I, you're going to miss. I've seen five of 10. So, yeah. um, but that was like the, like, because you know how people are always like, Teen Wolf season seven, you know, bring back this show, like bring back blah, 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 blah. It's like never the things you need it to come back, right? <laughs> no. And also sometimes people are like, bring back Hannibal. No. Really? I mean, I have never uh, finished it, but I also just think like three seasons is a good sweet spot. It breaks my heart that there will not be any more Fleabag, but I also like respect that oh, there will respect. be no oh, more Fleabag. Oh, The Good Place. Yeah, The Good Place. Doesn't need to come back. So we're, what we're really saying is that Supernatural could have ended at season five. And probably should have. I but. Well, I, I guess I don't really, because again, I haven't seen so much of it. I don't really want to be like, it was inherently bad. But I pay attention to what people <laughs> say. So. Hmm. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Worth reiterating that we love trash. Garbage. 
into we it. We are little raccoons with our little raccoon hands. I'm actually a possum, but thank you. Okay, well, raccoon possum solidarity. We love garbage. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, we're not going to watch this trash. Yeah. This garbage. I don't want these. I don't want these. Yeah. Yep. You know, like, I know that there were some people who liked, like, the Vampire Diaries spinoff, but I was like, I'm not watching that. What was that? The originals. Oh, I keep, that keeps getting, like, recommended to me on Netflix, and I'm like, I didn't watch the Vampire Diaries. You so would like why? the first couple seasons of the Vampire I Diaries. I am 100% sure that I would. I just haven't seen it. Yeah. So why would I watch the originals? But, like, I mean, the CW, and the CW is also, like, they're also doing that Gossip Girl reboot. I think the CW is just trying to play the greatest hits, but it's doing it in the wrong direction. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're, they're trying to play the greatest hits, but they're picking B-sides for some reason. <laughs> well, I I don't know anything really about the reboot, but from what I've seen, like, they're supposed to be woke. It's like woke Gossip Girl, which is just not That's the point That's not of why Gossip you watch that show. <laughs> oh, the first siren means we should really shift into Teen Wolf. Uh, welcome to the Teen Wolf Reboot Podcast, a podcast where we, I promise, will talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we are back to talk about Season 5, Episode 13, Co-dominance. Co co-dominance. Okay, right now, is it just me or is the title of every episode actually referring to something that happens in the next episode right now? Well, they have biology class. Yeah, but isn't that co-dominance actually supposed to be like the co-dominance of Theo and Scott? Maybe. I, I don't know. They're, they're but, but then also the, the, uh, the Dimnatio Memoriae was actually better implemented in this episode than it was in the previous. They're asking their titles to do a, a lot of heavy lifting. Truly nothing is quite as bad as status as Maticus. Oh my God. <laughs> but. <laughs> God. Just when you think you're anyway. done losing. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway. But this episode was um, written by Will Wallace. Hi, Will. Hello. And directed by Jennifer Lynch. Okay, I was like, the directing in this episode is like fire flame, right? It's because it Jennifer Lynch. Hi, Jen. Yeah, we love her. Really good. Yeah. I wish she had directed more. Not that I am not a Russell Mulcahy stan. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But. Houndstever. I mean, just oh, so much artistic intent, I think. Well, and it just looked. So good. It really did. In addition to just being like a, an excellent way of framing the particular story being told in this episode, like it just looked really good. And part of that has to do with the change in location. The fact that we mm -hmm. moved back into the desert gives us so much more um, like, like everything's a lot more open. You know, we get to sort of see like far more of our characters and how they interact with their space when they've got so much more space because they're not like in a leaky pipe factory. Yeah, it also feels like a majority of the season has taken place at night. Um, so it was nice to see some sunlight. Yeah. For I mean, little. we have problems with what's happening in the desert. Uh, but it, it looked nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looked nice, but then it did get a little bit like Mexican sepia filter. And I was like, come on. But that's kind of an editing thing. Yeah. Um, whoever colorized Teen Wolf, why did you play into that? Tisk, come on. Tisk. Anywho, shall we do the recap? Let, let's. I think I'm going first. <laughs> yes, I you are. could have and should have looked at my notes because um, given what happened in the interim between finishing the episode and actually getting here... I don't know that I remember. No, I actually, watched. like, my my Teen Wolf, I was, like, so ready to sit down. I had, like, you know, I was actually excited to talk about this episode. I had things to say. Uh, and then um, it 
It's like every once in a while, like Supernatural reaches its dirty claws out of the darkness to be like, remember you had no friends in high school. And I'm like, get away. I have a podcast to record. It's the brain worms. It's the brain worms. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Speaking of brain worms, are you ready to see how well you do on the 60 second recap? I'm going to try. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so um, Kira's at the Skinwalkers, and they're like, if you can't control the fox, you will have to become a Skinwalker. Styles is fixing his Jeep because they're going to go um, pick her up. Liam is like, hey, the Chimeras are back, and Scott's like, I know. And Scott is like, just stay here and don't get involved. Um, you know, and then Theo and Tracy are like looking for the beast because it doesn't remember who it is. The Dread Doctor's are there, and the beast has just like, you know, a severed head. Um, the Skinwalker like heals Kira's shoulder, and they're like, we're going to test you. Um, that might take months or years to like train the fox inside of you. Scott and Styles talk about Latin, um, and then they speculate on like who the beast might be. Um, Liam is like super angry at the fact that Hayden is like with Theo now. Um, Scott tells Styles about Malia and the Desert Wolf and how she's going to kill her. In bio class, Liam and Hayden have like a little moment, and Mason and Corey have a little moment. It's like flirty and angry and weird. Lydia and Meredith um, are doing Banshee school, and she's like, You have to focus your screams. Uh, Lydia, Liam and Hayden are arguing about um, Theo, and like Scott is in the dark, and she's like, uh, We're all going to die. Corey asks Mason out, and he's like, ah, No, I can't because you're a bad guy. And he's like, Well, no, actually, there are no bad guys. They smooch. Um, Kira is like, failing oh i got three-fifths of the way into the episode yeah i think you did a good job yeah thanks are you gonna do a good job no no (laughs) No. absolutely not never in my life thank you uh well we are going to see watch what happens live okay uh in three Two, one, recap. So Kira fights the skinwalkers in the desert and they say that if they can't help her, she has to stay and become one of them. Liam goes to Scott and uh, tries to tell him about the chimera slash Hayden, but Scott is like, yeah, you have to leave because me and Styles are going to go to the desert and Styles is working on the Jeep and I don't know. Um, (laughs) Theo and Tracy are in the school and they're talking about the beast and then the doctors show up and then the beast shows up and then roars, I guess. Um, uh, The skinwalkers are trying to dress Kira's wounds and then um, Nishiko tell, uh, tells Kira that um, the skinwalkers are going to test her and if she passes she has to, she can leave but if she can't she has to stay and it could take years until she recovers the jeep runs out of gas and then Scott and Styles are talking about Denashia Memoriae and then uh, Scott and Styles go to a gas station and then Styles is like uh, by the way this is what happened when I killed Donovan and Scott is like it's okay even though he didn't actually say that Scott tells Styles that Malia is going to team up with Brayden to kill the desert wolf um, Liam no uh, yeah Liam is in bio class with Hayden and Mason and Corey and they explained co-dominance and then uh, did not do very well. Time's up. Well, would you like to um, complete your summary for the good folks at home? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> Liam and Hayden kind of have an issue where he's like, I do love you, but you're also with Theo, who is a crazy person. And she's like, well, Theo saved my life. And it's like, yeah, but he also like ended it first too. So that's like a weird <laughs> allegiance to have. Uh, Corey explains to Mason that there is no good and evil in the coming fight and that the beast is going to kill everybody. So I'd rather just be alive. Take your chances, I until, guess. Until the beast kills everybody, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, Malia goes to try to find De- out where Deaton is, and Theo shows up and says that he will help her find the desert wolf. And uh, they also have this like kind of sexy moment where he's like, you like me. That would have been a crazy ship to explore. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean... Can't say that I want it. Scalia for life, but... <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, Scott and Styles make it out to Kira and she does not pass the test. The fox passes it and the skinwalkers are like, yeah, you have to stay with us. Um, and then right at, you know, in the nick of time, Scott and Styles 
roll up and save them. And they get back to Beacon Hills and Scott takes a nap. And when he wakes up, Mason tells him that Theo is looking for Deucalion. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Which, as far as we remember, doesn't come to anything. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> so, so there's that. Also, like, Deucalion is, like, all pathetic and washed up now. Do you really want him on your team? <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll explain that to us in the next episode, why they want him. Or oh, they won't. Or they just real won't. confidence. They just won't. You know, you and I both enjoyed this episode very much. Yeah, huge swing from the last direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It is such a character episode. Such a good character study. And I, is it good or is it good in comparison? I think it's good, but there's arguments to be made that we just have not seen anybody have a conversation in months. Months. <laughs> um, but, you know, something about this episode, it did feel like it was both trying to solve problems that the season created for itself. It, you know, a little bit retconned some stuff. And it just feels like season five dug itself in a hole and is trying to dig sideways instead of climb out. Yeah, the entire season has felt like the Deadpool supercomputer reveal, which didn't make any sense, but it's like the whole season. Wait, what? You and they're like, oh, the Deadpool is just a computer that Lorraine. And, okay, and like, dumb, Wait a dumb superhero brain was like, wait, when did that happen in Deadpool? Meaning <laughs> comic book superhero movie no. Deadpool. No. No, no, okay. Teen yes. Wolf. This is a Teen Wolf podcast. It is. Where we yes. talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. No, we started with Supernatural. Which is another network entirely, but yeah, similar um, psychosis. I <laughs> yeah, think. I think so. <laughs> There is something about teen supernatural drama, which like, like is supernatural <laughs> a teen? They're but in their twenties. Well, it starts in their twenties. So, well, here's the problem: supernatural has no idea who it tried to market <laughs> itself for, yeah. and then just like sad gay girls in the Midwest were like, I'm, "I I like this show. <laughs> I'm Dean. Yeah, I'm Dean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a male character more fit for women to project on." <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like, there is something that happens when you watch television like this, as you know from us having a podcast, <laughs> that, like, infects you psychologically. Yeah. It's it, it's a, it's its own pandemic. <laughs> Sweeping the nation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of belonging. People are just trying to belong. Aren't we all? Yeah, I think that's the thesis of post-coronavirus yeah. world. Oh my god, people are behaving so badly. Because they do not know where they belong. Uh, okay, I do not want to sit here and sympathize with the man who tried to hold my hand on the street. <laughs> being like, he just doesn't know where he belongs. No, he's a creep. <laughs> I completely forgot about my coworker was flashed on the L the other day. <laughs> like, it truly, like, creep behavior. I, I don't, like, at first I was like, am I just losing my tough skin? Not that I should have to have it, but, you know, I'm a woman who lives in a city. But, no, I really think people are so, so unhinged. So unhinged. The other day I was walking home, and this is not a person problem, but a rat problem, and I had my Birkenstocks uh, on, rats. and a rat ran in front of me and was like millimeters away from running over my Birkenstocks and my open feet. This is like when I kicked the <laughs> possum on accident. Yeah. Oh, 
I'm not okay, looking forward wait, to on. it. Once I was walking home and I took a step and I did not realize that a possum had scuttled over my boot and he flew. <laughs> I'm very sorry to that possum. When I when I was younger, we had a black cat and we had dark blue carpet. And the number of times <laughs> that cat went flying across the hallway. And it is, I would never intentionally do that to an animal. No, but I am, picture, I am picturing like the cat going, meow as it goes <laughs> he was always so indignant and it's like listen buddy this is the fourth time it's happened in a month you maybe could not sit here but no it's his house he's like yeah it's my house you'll move he's, around he's me. like on theme i belong here so nice thank you smooth back to teen wolf uh where should we start in our conversation about belonging I kind of want to talk about Lydia since she's not a huge part of this episode but I don't want to forget about her I also miss her I miss her dearly so she's going through um, Banshee School. We've seen Werewolf School. We've seen Chimera School. And now, get ready for Banshee School. <laughs> Not a lot happening. It's very low action. Which is fine. The fact that there was like, there was like kind of a final battle in this episode, but other than that, it was like low action. And I was like, I'm having the time of my life. Yeah, people were just sitting and talking to each other. I love Crazy. it. Crazy. Not to sound like a theater kid, but I do just like watching people sit and talk. <laughs> uh samesies i think a lot of people do yes um but meredith and lydia are talking about how lydia is gonna get herself out of eichenhouse and meredith goes back and explains how valak was able to concentrate the banshee scream with a paper cup by giving it focus into shattering glass and i think the sort of idea of giving her voice focus is more interesting in the sort of philosophical sense than it is in the literal sense um, I think Lydia has been without focus or without maybe even purpose for a really long time now, probably since actually the beginning of season four. Yeah. Um, and I think that Meredith being able to reach beyond the veil in the sort of Banshee community type of way and give Lydia like sort of instruction and like care in this way must feel very much like she does belong to something. Yeah, especially, and I, we've talked about this a lot, so it's, it's not, we don't need to go too deep into it, but, like, Lydia lost her best friend, there was this rift between Scott and Styles. it didn't really last very long, but the tension had been kind of building, and she's not really sure what role she can play in the whole Dread Doctor Chimera thing, because nobody really knows what's going on, and the whole pack is fracturing, so not only does Lydia not have a place to belong with other Banshees, but she doesn't have a place within the pack, really, at this point, because she doesn't fulfill a function, mm-hmm. um, so I do think it is nice we were bemoaning in the last episode the lack of interaction between the women in this show, and so that was, like, really nice. Yeah, totally. Siren 2. Yeah, a new one. Uh, yeah. Um, Spicy. You know, it's it's interesting. We always talk about the fact that she never got to grieve Allison, but, you know, it, Dr. Valak does show up as Aiden in the beginning of season five, and we really never talk about her grieving him either. And so she senses two, like, incredible losses and feels those in a way that nobody else can. Except for Meredith, basically. Yeah. And it must feel really comforting to know that you're not the only one who's ever felt the way that you have felt. Because grief is something that is sort of um, ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. But it, when you're experiencing like true grief, no one knows what you're feeling in that point. You know, even if they've felt it before, you can't actually refocus into that emotion. Mm-hmm. Well, it's neat because... 
Like, yes, Lydia's banshee powers have had utility in the past, but lately it's felt more like a liability because it's kind of... By Lord? Yes. Great. Because it's kind of debilitated her in a way. Um, So giving her the power of agency, which Lydia has none of right now, especially being in Eichenhaus and being completely catatonic, um, is comforting to her, I think. It almost reminds me of that thing where, like, when you're in a situation that makes you uncomfortable and you can't speak out about it, but you can make eye contact with the other women in the room. Mm-hmm. That is really a com- it, it can be it can immediately like sort of um, soften your discomfort just the, to know that someone's in on something. Yeah, the uh, universal nearly imperceptible widening of the eyes. Like, can you fucking believe this guy? Yeah. It's always about yeah. some dude too. Yeah. Obviously <laughs> I didn't need, need, didn't need to say that. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a really comforting thing for us to watch again, as we really missed, uh, seeing the women interact and also nice to see that Lydia's being taken care of in some way where we just have not seen her, but either able to express her grief or have anybody even check in on that grief. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is going to show up more, um, heavily in the next couple of episodes because I can't really remember but I remember being like really perturbed by Lydia's stay in Eichenhaus and it just made me really really sad the first time that I watched the show because it it's horrible to watch people be treated you know in the way that she is by ostensibly medical professionals who are trying to help her um who don't care about her at all and it feels so violating um, so this moment is not just a comfort to Lydia, but to me, yes. the watcher, the Qua- audience. Quoth Juno, doctors are sadists who like to play God and watch lesser people scream. True. Um, shall we move into our conversation about maybe let's talk about uh, Liam and Hayden a little bit? Yeah. Um, the main source of conflict between Liam and Hayden and also Mason and Corey, they're all kind of intertwined. Yeah. We can definitely make this a group combo is that their sense of belonging has different allegiances. Um, and Theo doesn't have red eyes, so he's not technically an alpha, but he is the leader of that pack. So he is their little, their little alpha Mm -hmm. and we've got Scott and they are obviously, they stand for two completely different things. And I think it's really interesting that we're coming back to the, the argument of doing the right thing versus surviving. Yeah. And I think that that, um, (laughs) is better iterated, like better explained and, and spoken about in other seasons. But I do think that there is also, um, a, a fundamental question of, of loyalty and whether or not that loyalty is earned. And, you know, we know that Liam sort of has like the, biological like response to being loyal to Scott because that's his beta. However, Teen Wolf wants to explain that working. If they ever want to explain. Who knows? Maybe don't. It might make me feel weird. (laughs) Almost certainly. (laughs) actually. (laughs) But you know, the way that the, the chimeras are um, loyal to Theo is because they think that he has saved them and don't really put in or don't really, you know, have the understanding that he's actually the one who killed them mm-hmm. in the first place. And I'm wondering if there is something about like the way that they come came back and like Theo being there upon their resurrection, if it's almost like an imprinting baby duck situation. I really think it is because when they wake up, he is like, 
this is who I am. This is what's going on. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, he just lays it out really plainly. And that also explains like why Hayden led, uh, the police to Liam and Mason at the Nematon. Like, um, it, it, it explains why they're all behaving in a certain way. And I think it's really interesting that like Liam really cares for Hayden for reasons that we don't really understand. Um, and Hayden seems to like reciprocate that. And the assumption on Liam's part is, well, okay, you really like me. You trust me. We just had this conversation about how nothing feels right, but me. So why are you not trusting my instinct on who we should be following and who we should be listening to? Well, you know, I think that there is this going back to, but the sense of belonging is that, Liam is kind of the only word she has to trust Scott where she has three people who have had an identical experience to her who are on like Theo's side. And that feels like she would way rather be with that group. You know, there is a sense of, there's like a a point of connection for all of them. And I would be like, yeah, I'm going to go with the people who know what I've been through or are experiencing it actively as I am. Yes. Because they've all been dead. And they never explained to us what that's like. Tell me what it's like. I want to know. Well, because, and Hayden says that really explicitly. Like, I can't die again. Like, you don't know what it's like. Yeah. What's it like? Tell us. Tell me. (laughs) Tell us. Um, Yeah. And on, on the flip side there, the conversation that Mason and Corey have, um, Mason lays it out really, uh, starkly and is like you're one of the bad guys Mm -hmm. and mason clearly sees himself as belonging to the side of good and the side of justice and that means belonging to scott really um well belonging to liam and then by extension scott and um Corey obviously does not see it that way Mm -mm. at all no um because he views like it's it, Scott obviously is this like shining moral beacon of being the true alpha. And Theo's like, Hey, uh, you don't want to die. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also like, I think at this point and it frustrates me and we're going to get to this conversation with the conversation that Scott and Styles have at this point, it looks to somebody like Corey that if you're on the side of somebody who's not going to get your hands dirty, you're in danger because mm-hmm. they're not willing to do whatever it they need to do to protect you or protect their own, which Theo is he really doing it to protect his own? I don't know, but he is willing to do pretty much anything because I mean, whether or not he is doing it to protect his own or his own ass, if other people get saved in the process, they may feel like that's a better shot. That's a better person to like, you know, hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Kira? Yeah. So I, again, we, on our last episode, if you missed it, um, put out our a detailed little thought about why we think it is inappropriate to use skinwalkers as a plot device in this show. Um, so that frustrates me, but we've already laid out those thoughts. Um, so we'll just talk about it as best we can. Um, from the perspective of television and Teen Wolf. Yeah. So there is a really interesting um, sort of Kira's like primary struggle is with the fact that she does not belong. She knows internally that she does not belong with the skinwalker. She belongs with her friends. She belongs in the 
sort of real world. And the idea that the Kitsune can consume her to the point where it's the only option she has is sort of, it's interesting, you know, it feels like it's, it, it makes it feel like belonging is, is not a choice. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really interesting um, because she doesn't even want to entertain the idea, which I completely understand. Um, and I think the fact that Nishiko, you know, as she tells Kira, you have centuries that you need to live because Nishiko's 900 years old. Mm-hmm. Like Kira, it, there's a sense of urgency in needing to control, um, the Fox part of her because, um, she could live forever for a very, very long time. And if you don't know how to control it, then you will just be wreaking havoc forever and ever. Um, and so it is like heartbreaking to Kira that she doesn't, does she really belong with her friends? I think that is the question. Like ultimately, yes, that's the conclusion we come to, but I think it's a question where she belongs. Well, I think it's really interesting when you bring up the, the topic of time, Uh, where she says, you know, you have years, but until this, like at this like point, Nishiko is saying that from somebody who experiences time so differently from everybody, a couple of years sounds like nothing to her, but Kira has not actually entered into the part of her life where she is starting to conceptualize and actually live out the idea that she is sort of an eternal being. Mm -hmm. Time has passed normally for her. So the idea that she could be taken away from her family and her friends and, you know, undertake like this forced belonging into the, the skinwalker group, um, is terrifying. She has no sense. She's got no frame of reference for what that would be like for her. That feels like the end of her life in her mother, who knows that a couple of years is nothing when you're 900 is like, uh, yeah, but, I would like you to live, please. You know, Mm -hmm. they're sort of, they're at an impasse in, in understanding, you know, how, how, um, urgent the belonging is. Yeah. Kira doesn't want it to, to be there at all. Whereas I think Nishiko is like, well, if you're here for a little bit, then you can come back and be with us forever. And it's interesting that neither of them wants to engage seriously with the idea that Kira might belong with the skinwalkers, not in like a, in the way that you said that a forced belonging that she might have to stay with the skinwalkers and be a part of that group (laughs) community. Um, neither one of them want to engage with that idea Mm -hmm. because to them, they're like, Oh, well clearly she'll pass the test. It will be fine because you belong here or like with my with our family. And what's funny is sort of like, I just don't know because we don't actually, no one knows anything about skinwalkers. Um, and we don't really know enough about the sort of mythology behind them in Teen Wolf. It's interesting to me that they're like, no, you stay. What, why do they want her to belong? Is this like cultish behavior where like there's strength in numbers type of like thing? But it is interesting to me that they even want to help at all. And that their solution is that Kira must walk among them. Well, it's funny because I think it, that to me makes it sound like a moral responsibility to keep the fox from overpowering Kira. And the implication to me anyway is like it, she would become Nogitsune. Yeah. Um, so to prevent that from happening. But it doesn't really make any sense because the skinwalkers don't know her from Adam. So why would they care? I don't know. I don't um, know. 
or like it would make sense if it was some sort of cosmic rule or something, but we don't get any of that. And also why have these mythologies even interacted ever at all? Literally ever at all. And it's, it's hard to talk about like, you know, as you were saying, Kira doesn't have any understanding of immortality because time has been passing normally for her. That would be such an interesting thing to talk about. Um, and like grapple with in terms of relationships and yada yada. And yet like we're stuck with this particular plot line. If she can't control the Fox, like I think they could go hand in hand, but the execution is really weird and we don't get an opportunity to talk about like, what does it actually mean for Kira to be a Kitsune? Yeah. And you know, I would love a conversation where, you know, Noshiko is like, what happens when Scott goes? Like what, what happens when he's dead and you still live? And then she could be like, well, what happens when my dad dies and you're still alive? And Nishiko could be like, you think this is my first rodeo? Yeah. I would love to have the, those conversations would be so much more interesting to me than the skinwalker thing. And not just because it's culturally insensitive, but because it doesn't really make sense within the flow of the season within like thematically, if you can say that there's a theme of this season, you know, it's just frustrating. Yes, it is. Um, let's move on to talk about Scott and Styles. The big kahuna. I really think, (laughs) okay, I really think that this is the best we've seen of them since maybe the conversation where they, their initial fight in the very beginning of five. Yes. Which is very good. Yes. Um, It is so engaging to just watch them talk. And obviously like Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Posey at this point, like have the like Scott and Styles friendship interactions. Like I think they all they do is memorize their lines and then just let Scott and Styles possess them and move through the scene. They wake up on the other side like, how'd we do? They're one true vessel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really had fun watching, but was kind of disappointed in the actual execution of what was happening. And it wasn't even that it was <laughs> that these conversations were bad. It's that everything that was leading up to it did not have to was bad. Like, what are your thoughts? My thoughts. Um, I have so many, it's hard to, it's hard to sum up. Um, I think the thing that frustrated me the most about this is that like styles is trying to be honest with Scott because Scott had this whole thing about how he wants to bring the pack back together. That's the only way that they're going to be able to like tackle what's going on with Theo and tackle what's going on with the dread doctors. Then he totally brushes Liam off before they go on their road trip. And styles is like really trying to be transparent with Scott. And instead of it being Um, a moment for Scott to like reflect about how he had a hand in what went down between the two of them. Um, He's just like, well, of course I know what self-defense is. Yeah. Okay. That is certainly not what you made it seem like. I (laughs) am really frustrated with the fact that this is what it's boiling down to because I do not want to think that that argument has been entirely for naught. Like clearly they're not actually dealing with any internal personal struggle. That's why I think the much more execution, the much more interesting execution for this season would have been to have Scott kill somebody. And he says in this episode, you know, I always thought it was going to be me that t- took things went too far, but also Malia Ouch. Okay. Drive by shooting. <laughs> I know she's not there to hear it, but like rude. Um, And I really think that like 
on the sense of belonging, like Scott and Styles belong to together, like they're best friends and to each other. Yes. Um, <laughs> not like in a betrothed <laughs> way, obviously. No, but just like they are, they're brothers now. Yeah. So they've they would, always been brothers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I am really sort of um, bored of how everything played out only to be resolved immediately. And it a little bit is like the structure of this season was asking the writers to wrap up that really, really quickly and like get it over with to get the band back together. That means they needed to have their big falling out. That means Scott needed to find out about Donovan in episode six. Yeah. It, Actually, uh, I think Donovan dies in like episode three. In episode eight, he needed to find out. I just keep coming back to the word lazy. Yeah. Because well, it is. No, it's not even really lazy. It's like they took too big of a bite. And now we're trying to put, pull things all back together. And I really, again, liked the season and was, I mean, liked this episode and was really happy to watch them belong to each other. But we also have another thing where Scott never asks Styles what happened. He just decides he's forgiven. And when I think about what would actually happen if somebody I knew was accused of doing some, something abhorrent, I would have done everything in my mind possible to try to prove that they were innocent. And Scott's like, yeah, I just don't know why I believed him. And I'm like, yeah, me neither, because it's actually improbable given the situation. Given not just the situation, but their past relationships, because one of the biggest issues in 3B is that Scott would do fucking anything for Styles, and that makes him a liability when they are trying to deal with Nagitsune. Also, absolutely hilarious. Like, so rich that uh, Scott's like, Liam almost killed me. You should have seen him. And Styles is like, Yeah, I've seen you on the full moon. And it's like, you already got, you guys already have the relationship where you have seen and forgiven the worst of each other. So what the hell? Yeah. It, and, you know, sorry. Oh no, it just bothers me that n- neither of them, but especially Scott says, I'm sorry. He doesn't say I'm sorry. He like Why? says it was Theo's fault, which like, yeah, I mean, totally like in part, but like you behaved badly. <laughs> and he, but also the way that he couches it by saying one, I don't know why I believed Theo, um, babe, me neither. And, Two, him being like, well, Styles, I know what self-defense is, puts the blame like entirely on Styles not being able to trust Scott, which is not his problem. Yeah, when everyone's like, why didn't you tell me? Um, because I thought I was gonna go to jail for murder. Like, that's pretty like not a not a far uh like logical conclusion, right? Right. And we also, again, like we don't really talk about the harm that Styles caused as a Nugitsune, but we just assume that it's like all forgiven. Um, but of course. Styles has been walking around with this like tremendous guilt for two seasons that we have not talked about. Yep. So of course it makes sense that he wouldn't want to talk to anyone about it because he's still processing all of that. And then also Donovan is dead now. Like Scott has no empathy no. for how he might be feeling. Which is so weird because, well, this is, I actually think that Styles in this season behaves pretty within character. I think that mm-hmm. it, we were talking about whether or not, you know, it was styles out of character, Scott out of character at the beginning of the season. It's Scott because, you know, our biggest praise for him for the first four seasons were how it was how emotionally intelligent he was. Why did that fly out the window? And and it is not it is not just his interactions with styles. No. Um, I mean, I get that he like does not have time to deal with whatever Malia is going through, but that whole exchange in the last episode, I think, would have gone so much differently in a previous episode I think so too because Scott would have insisted on knowing what was going on yeah and I just you know I think that I 
I like the idea that Styles tells Scott what happened unprompted. I like the way it happens where they're just filling up gas. It's just sort of like, you know, this random bit of business they have to do and styles just kind of can't keep it in anymore. And he like has to prove to Scott that he really is innocent. And while I think that that's a really interesting impulse, it still pisses me off that Scott never asked and didn't give him the chance to share like by, you know, being like, I do care about what happened. I want to know about what you went through and that's why you are so upset. Like it's actually a question of Scott, like not letting styles talk about a trauma or it's like what if, if someone comes out and the person they're coming out to is like, I know. Yeah. Hate that. Hate it. Oh it's, my gosh. It's one thing to be like, oh, you know, I always, I just felt like you were never living your true authentic self. That, yeah. you know, like, it, oh, oh. Or Scott even should just be like, tell me when you're ready. Tell me. It is, it is just so, we have, and here's the thing. I am not going to complain about a rift between Scott and Styles. I think if you have a relationship like that, that is fun, like, foundational to a show um that is the thing that you do you break those people up and then you bring them back together yes. classic um it's just the way that it was executed was bad so poor let's move into q's and o's let's do it do you have any questions um no no Le- legitimately i did not even write any down it's not that i had questions that we answered during the session no no question. Okay, I would also say this episode was really easy to follow, which I like deeply appreciated. Like, I don't feel I'm not dumb. Probably not stupid. But sometimes I'm like, what the F is going on in the show? Well, it was nice being able to just know what was happening. Um, I am not dumb either, and I also feel that way. So yes. I would agree with you. Uh do you have any observations? Yeah. Um at the very beginning, there is this gratuitous ass shot. When all of the uh, skinwalkers are like twirling around Kira and fighting her and stabbing her with a spear, like one of them twirls and her little animal pelt skin lifts up and it's just her ass. Yeah, that was really gratuitous and weird. And weird. Um, I really, I really liked, and we didn't talk about this, but I really liked that when Kira was fighting the Oni, that the wounds she inflicted on it were being inflicted on herself. I think that's a fun concept. Yes. Um... Sort of like the opposite of a voodoo doll. Yeah. Oh, I loved the little um, Corey and Mason flirtation moment in bio. Like the slidey scoot? I had that as one of my observations, too. Well, and what I think is so cute about it is that Mason, like, clearly really likes Corey. And then Corey actually asks him out, and he's like, "Mm, wait a minute, you're a bad guy. And the fact that he kind of can't stop himself from flirting with him and, like, wanting to hang out with him and, like, having to pull it back it's so cute they're, it's they're so teenagery smoochy, their little smoochy smooch in the locker room was really cute i think those actors have good chemistry which helps yeah, yeah i do too they're just adorable um, that kind of feels a little bit like teen wolf is of old you know a little bit like flirting with the enemy it's sexy listen i miss like in a teenage way a, but that is like one of teen wolf's strengths yeah it's like sexy in a teenage way yeah and um, not in a, and not in a way where you're like i feel weird watching this as an adult you're just kind of like yay yay they like <laughs> they each like, other yeah. they like each other and it's also just you know if you would let a, a boy and a girl smooch like that and you just gotta let the boys smooch like that yeah you know teen wolf so problematic in so many different directions but we will give you credit for that yeah um any other observations no what are yours uh okay this episode was the funniest episode we've had in so long. Yes. It was 
there were so many good moments. All of the coolant in the back of the Jeep and the fact that they have to turn the, the <laughs> heater on because <laughs> the Jeep is overheating. And, he, and he's like, uh, the the bit where Scott's like, wait, you didn't fix you didn't fix the fuel gauge and he's like not necessarily he's like but it says we're on a half tank and he's like not necessarily <laughs> really made me laugh the scoot like the scoot and slide that happens with mason and Corey. i don't think i remembered mason being as funny as a character as he is and me neither really charming yeah i i enjoyed the humor in this in this episode a lot thought the directing was great except for like that one gratuitous butt shot that was yeah. the one thing where i was like mm-hmm, mm. that did not need to be in there um yeah, there was all of like the tilting like Dutch angles and the uh, Eichenhaus stuff. The lighting was really good. It looked good. This episode looked so pretty. It looked really good. Also, to your point about it being funny, I do not know if this was supposed to be funny. I think they could have played it up a little bit more. But when um, Kira and Ushiko get into the Jeep because they've escaped the skinwalkers, they are just immediately making out in the back. Kira and yeah, Scott. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> it was really, really funny. Um, and they, they both say I love you to each other, which I think could have had a little bit more of a moment than it actually did. But I was just laughing. Okay, moment to make that funnier, though. I really think when they kissed, Style should have looked at Nishiko and be like, we could make out, too. <laughs> and it would have been so on brand It would have been great. Um, oh, I didn't... I, I mentioned earlier that I did not care for the Mexico sepia tone. Um, no. But those are the last of my observations. Do you have pack stats? I do. Um, lots of pack stats, actually. We've got six. Count them six eyes. Six? We've got three claws. No shirts. Um, this was not an explicit ad, but in the shot, when Kira comes out to talk to her mom after passing, quote unquote, passing the test, um, there was absolutely no need for that Toyota to be in the shot, except to remind you that like they have a car, but they could have done it elsewhere. So I'm going to call it a Toyota ad. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we've gotten two sirens thus far. Yes. I think the most we've had in recent episodes. Do you have an alpha of the week? Oh, Styles. Styles. He drove them there. He drove like 12 hours. Scott did not do any driving. He drove me here. Yeah. Yeah. Who was your... Styles. 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 Feels good. I haven't been able to give it to Styles in a while. And for a long time, he was like MVP of the week every week. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Um, I think that about wraps it up. I think so. Well, if you guys liked this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfReWolf and our Facebook group is Podcast. If you really liked this episode, you guys can leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you leave us a review we, and give us five stars, we'll read it out loud on the pod and give you so much love. If you really, really liked this episode, you guys can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Free Wolf, or you can buy one of our stickers. Go to the link in our bio of any of our socials and you guys can buy yourself some Teen Wolf Free Wolf merch. Um, without further ado, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh woo!